Hi everyone, this is Nature Tripping. I'm Cathy. And I'm Jo. Welcome to our podcast. It's about going outside to experience the wildlife that's all around us. We're going to be chatting about where we are and what's happening. But sometimes we'll just leave the microphones recording so we can spend some time just listening. Today, we're not out in the wild, we're in the sitting room, looking out on our um, small patch of garden. That's because we've decided to do the RSPB, that's the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, Big Garden Bird Watch, uh, where you sit and you watch your garden for an hour and you try and count all the different birds that you see, so the different species and how many of each species. So that's what we're going to attempt to do. You can hear the birds in the background because we've put some small microphones on the tree that has all the various feeders on where we're trying to attract the birds. Cathy's got a nice cup of coffee. And I'm writing, I'm writing down what we can see. Yeah. Because I like surveys. <laughs> um, Joe, there are loads of bird feeders and loads of... They've all got different things in. Yes, it's a smorgasbord. So what have we got there? Well, um, three different types of seedy type feeders. So we've got black sunflower seeds in a couple of feeders. They're a firm favourite with lots of birds. Um, then we've got peanuts in another feeder. Then... Especially for the goldfinch, we've got niger seeds. We, we can actually see a goldfinch on the niger seeds right now. And then in addition to that, we've got a couple of blocks of fat. Mm. And they've got lots of seeds and um, sort of insecty things and yeah. grubs in, in them, haven't they? Yeah. The blue tits seem to go on virtually everything. You've through thrown some old apples on the floor, haven't yeah. you? So I'm trying to count the maximum number of each species you can see at any one time. I just saw six blue tits in one go. I don't know what you do about these birds that fly over the garden. These jackdaws. Yeah. Yeah, jackdaws. Do you want put them in or not? Oh, I can't see from where I'm sitting. Are they actually in the garden? Well, they're very nearby. They're in a tree. Yeah. I think if it's if it's in the in the trees next to us, they the count. Yeah. Okay. How many did you see? Um, I can't see them. I can hear one. So our garden is, well, it's in a kind of semi-rural, post-industrial, gritty northern valley. Mm. So we've got other houses around us. It's the long tail tips on the fat square. 
the long tail tits are really cute. Mm. Two so far. Mm. Okay, yeah. And there's um, woods and moorland around as well. So, I mean, it's quite a good place for birds, isn't it? Because there's quite a lot of kind of natural habitat around. Mm. So we've got, some, it's an area with kind of very small gardens, but we're on the edge of this woodland. And lots of the other houses put food out as well, so. It's pretty great for a blue tit around here, isn't it? Yeah, blue tits and coal tits especially. And we've got these little microphones balanced on a bamboo pole which is attached to a branch on the tree with some green garden wire. So it's all a bit Heath Robinson. Uh, but the idea was to get those little microphones in there. Oh, two robins having a row. Um, so we could hear their little, the wing beats and the pecking and their more Calls. intimate noises um, of the birds as they're feeding. busy isn't it? Mm. There's things flying in and out the whole time. There's a dunnock on the fence. <gasps> There's the bullfinch. A female bullfinch. You were saying how busy it is. I mean, look, this is what we've literally counted just so far. So this is in, we're in like the first 10 minutes of the mm. bird count, yeah? Mm. So uh, six blue tits, three coal tits, one great tit, one robin, one dunnock, LTT, what's that? The long-tailed tit. One, two long-tailed tits, a goldfinch, a jackdaw, a chaffinch, a dunnock, and a bullfinch. So this survey I read on the RSPB website mm. has been going since 1979. Wow. That's 40 years, isn't wow. it? It's 40 years, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and the idea is that... To use citizen science. To so get as many people as possible doing it. Yeah. yeah. Thousands and millions probably up and down the country. And then you've got an enormous amount of data which you can analyse for different types of species and the abundance of those species. And then, because it's like been going 40 years... A sort of snapshot at the same time of year, every year. You can look at trends over time, over the years, and see which birds are favouring well in gardens and which ones are doing less well. Mm. So there's this little book that we found. Actually, my mum found it. What? Just, I'm just wondering what's making that chattery noise.
stopped anyway. Sorry. So this is a book that my mum sent us. Um, when was that written? It was published in 1968 wow. by the RSPB and it's called British Garden Birds and I think it's one of a series of books. It's by a guy called Peter Condor with illustrations by H.J. Slipper and recordings by A.G. Field. So it says on the front, it's got sound illustrations. It's amazing, isn't it? It's got, it's actually got records. Two LP records, one in the front cover and one in the back cover in paper slips. And this is the introduction to the book. We in the RSPB believe that gardens are assuming an immensely important place in the conservation of nature. A countryside is under such pressure to provide more food for a growing population, more room for housing, more room for factories and more room for recreation, that wild places, wildernesses, are disappearing. Weeds that provided the seeds for so many birds are controlled by weed killers. Hedges and trees that sheltered nests are being uprooted and burnt. Few species of birds can live in the barren lands that are left. Thus, the need for bird gardens and private nature reserves grows. Everyone who has a garden has the opportunity of helping to create a sanctuary by planting bushes and trees which provide food in the shape of insects and berries and shelter for nesting places. The provision of nest boxes, which you can make yourself or buy ready-made, also help turn gardens into reserves. Feeding birds, particularly in winter, helps them to survive. This is easily done for all sorts of foods are available on the market or you can use your household scraps. If you have to use weed killers or insecticides in your garden, avoid using the organochlorine groups such as BHC and DDT and use others sparingly. Some insects are harmless and provide good food for birds. Others, like bees, are beneficial and should on no account be killed. I hope that this book, with its wonderful recordings by Mr. A.G. Field, will add to your enjoyment and understanding of the birds of your garden and encourage you to further efforts for their security. Mm. So that was written 50, uh, 51 or two years ago. And I have to say, the situation is the same now, isn't it? Mm. Um, I think that was written at the beginning of um, the general enthusiasm for encouraging birds into gardens, wasn't it? But in terms of the, the loss state of, habitat. of nature, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, at 68, it carried on that we put our countryside under pressure and we've continued to put our countryside under pressure and gardens have continued to become... It, more and more important as havens for birds. Yeah, I mean, if you because if you we would look back now to the sixties, thinking, oh, you know, everywhere was full of flowers and insects then. But I suppose they're recognising that compared with their past, exactly compared to say with the forties or thirties, habitat loss and loss of nature was already happening. Yeah, 
And it's just continued worse and worse these yeah. days. I mean, one thing that isn't the same is these insecticides, BHC, which I think they mean there is something called lindane, right. and DDT. Oh, I've heard of that one, yeah. They've both largely been banned. Right. So they're not used in agriculture in, At all. in Britain anymore. Yeah. So that's one good thing, because mm. they were very toxic and very persistent and led to all sorts of problems in the environment. But I think that was, yeah, the, since then there's been encouragement to feed birds, put nest boxes, and gradually it's become more and more a thing to do. Well, it's a nice way of people interacting with their local nature, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a really good... Having a bird feeder is probably the best way of getting really close to birds. Because, I mean, we're about five metres away, aren't we? Yeah. And they're completely ignoring us. And they can, well, they're used to our comings and goings. You won't come watch them all day long. That's a robin singing. I think also when you watch them every day, yeah, you begin to understand their behaviours a bit better, don't mm. you? So what I've noticed, for example, is after there's been some kind of disturbance and all the birds have flown off mm. or say if I've just filled up the bird feeder yeah one of the first species to come back always is the cold tit yeah. it seems to be the boldest of the tits and interestingly on the RSBB site they say mm. cold tits are um, a species that has rocketed in terms of its presence mm. the numbers that you now see in gardens mm. so Occurrence has gone up 245% since the beginning of the big garden bird watch, so since 1979. Mm. And this little book here has got a page for each of the garden birds, mm. and there is one for the colter in here somewhere. And I think when I read it, um, it said that colters were found in fir tree plantations. Mm. Pine forests, generally. Yeah. So hmm. let me see. So, in winter, cold tit wanders rather more widely than other tits. We often think that the tits that we see on our bird tables one day are the same as those we see on the next. And then they go on to say that they've ringed cold tits. And it shows that throughout the winter there's a constantly changing population. It's true that we often have resident individuals which use our nest boxes, but it's also true that the bird may appear at a bird table in winter, but be found nesting in summer two or three or even up to nine miles away. So what they're saying is they're quite wide-ranging in terms of their feeding habits in winter. Yeah, the colter is an insect feeder, but here it's not, is it? Here it's eating seeds. It's eating sunflower seeds. <laughs> Naturally enough, it gets most of its food from pine woods and preys, especially on a particular insect which burrows into the cones of larch or pine. It will, however, come to bird tables. On the bird table, one of the cultists' favourite foods is sunflower seeds. 
which it holds tightly in its claws whilst it hammers away at the husk to get at the nut inside. Mm. So although originally they're insect feeders... In pine woodland? Yeah, they're quite happy and they've got more and more numerous. Over, since this was written in yeah. 1968, it would appear they've adapted yeah. to become um, garden birds. And goldfinch is another um, of the birds that's increased in numbers greatly since the great garden bird watch started. So there's, there's ways in which humans have had quite an influence on the small bird population by doing the bird feeder thing. There are now three long tail tits. So yeah, a few minutes ago, so on the ground there was a dunner and a few chaffinches and a robin all feeding on bits of seed dropped from the bird feeders. The robin has been trying to get the fat out of the fat yeah. feeder, kind of doing a hummingbird style yeah. uh, flight, just hovering and pecking at the same time. But it much prefers feeding off the ground. Mm. We haven't got a bird table at such ever because I think they can quickly get quite clogged up and messy and um, one of the issues with feeding birds is you, you're concentrating quite a lot of birds in a small space and there's a high risk of infection um, so you have to keep your bird feeders pretty clean That was a goldfinch chasing off a chaffinch. There's goldfinches singing in the bush nearby. Joe, you were reading about the Great Garden Bird Watch. Did you find out what are the most common birds that people see in the garden? Because I think, obviously, we know what's common in our garden, but that's not necessarily common overall, is it? No. So, um, yeah, the commonest bird is a sparrow. Mm. We hardly ever see them, do we? We haven't got any house sparrows here. Maybe it's too gritty. <laughs> um, and then... Yeah, so the interesting thing is, although the commonest bird is the sparrow, again, uh, it's one of these birds that, over time, the data's shown that the numbers of sparrows have gone down, so there's like 50% um, or so less sparrows than there were when the birdwatch started mm. in 79. Mm. Um and then I think the next most common one is a starling. And again, we've not got any starlings. No, that's right. We never see starlings in the garden. No. Um, and they've dropped about 80%. Mm. Oh, look who's arrived. Oh, 
nut hatch. The nut hatch on the fat feeder. Okay. The nut hatch on the fat feeder. Put it down on the list. But yeah, so some of the commonest birds, like Stulling and Sparrow, are actually severely in decline nationally. Well, there's been a big debate, hasn't there, about why sparrow numbers have fallen. Mm. I don't know whether they've got to the bottom of why. I think that rapping noise is the goldfinch on, on, on the, the Niger feeder. Yes, yeah. yeah. tapping the side of the feeder with its beak. It's doing something because then that feeder's got tiny holes let tiny, tiny seeds out. <laughs> oh, to stop the tiny seeds falling out. So clearly putting out all peanuts and sunflower seeds and fat is great for this collection of birds, but yeah. what about the other birds? That's right, so there's a sort of argument by having a feeding system that benefits certain species and they will have an advantage in terms of getting through the winter, so they're more likely to be successful in breeding and whether that disadvantages other birds who don't ever come to garden feeders. Because they then outcompete yeah. those birds yeah. for insects or yeah. so blue natural tits. food. Yeah, blue tits, for example, if they're, inc if they're increasing in numbers, they'll outcompete other small insectivores over the summer. So these blue tits will be uh, amazingly healthy mm. and in good shape to have large broods because they've been feeding all winter on delicious peanuts and sunflower seeds. Yeah. But um, going back to your, your book, there are species that they mention in there as being quite common in gardens in the 1960s, which are really quite rare now. Well. The spotted flycatcher. Mm. I mean, I've never seen a spotted flycatcher. <laughs> well, I used to see them, but I certainly haven't seen them for about 20 years. And spotted flycatchers eat insects, don't they? Mm. So here we are. It's quite a boring looking bird. It's not very spotted either. Well, it's brown and speckly. Is it? Yeah. With a white front. That side's with Robin. Okay. So, um, the spotted flycatcher is especially adapted for catching aerial insects, and it would have considerable difficulty in eating seeds on the ground. Its beak is soft, short, and very wide at the base. 
the width of the beak increases the flycatcher's chances of catching an insect. So, too, do the numerous stiff bristles with which the base of the bill is equipped. Interesting. Mm. It hardly ever alights on the ground as it can dash after insects more quickly from a perch. The flycatcher's legs are thus only used for holding on to its perch and not for walking when it would have to hold its body horizontally, as does the skylark, to avoid the tail touching the ground. Consequently, the spotted flycatcher's legs are short and relatively weak. The spotted flycatcher is one of the last summer migrants to arrive, reaching Britain from Africa in the last half of April or early May. It arrives when the insects, which are its food, are comparatively abundant. And it says at the top, it's often seen in gardens or open woodlands. Mm. There's little you can do to provide artificial food. Mm. So... I mean, we we wouldn't see it in January anyway because it's a migrant, so it's sure. not turning up till April. But we've never seen it in our garden. No, and I've never seen it in the in the woods here either. Um, and it eats insects. That's its diet. And we know um, that insect populations are plummeting, aren't they? It, did, it used to be something you would regularly see in the woods. So I guess all we could do really is try and grow more insect-friendly plants in our garden. More weeds. Mm. I did that last summer. Yeah, you had um, you grew loads of teasels, didn't I, you? Well, just I didn't do any gardening. Yeah. And all these weeds came up, mm. and I just let them grow. And I have to say, when you walked through the garden, mm. there was a lot more insect life. Mm. Mm. So I would thoroughly recommend it. It would make for a more interesting garden. It kind of did, except I felt like I couldn't walk through the garden. <laughs> that was the year I grew all the teasels, yeah. though. Because they were too... They, yeah, you were yeah. Right, the teasels. Last year. The, OK, the teasel year was the year before, and they were just too spiky. Yeah. yeah. But last year was... Mm. Just jungly. Actually, fig work grew, and... Mm. There was always a wasp. Yeah. So wasps really like fig work. Mm. So what's going to be your policy about weeds, not weeds this year, Joey? Well, um, a mixture of... What? There's a ram on the fence. Just, just behind the tree. Working left behind the tree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Picking out things in the fence. Sorry, back to the weeds. A female blackbird. Yeah. I'm going to stick with the plants that I've planned to be yeah, there. Chosen but plants. When the plants that I haven't planned to be there, <laughs> otherwise known as weeds, <laughs> pop up, I'm going to let them. Right. It's side by side. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. I'm going to have a mix. Chosen and opportunist. Is that a That's goldfinch. goldfinches having a go at each other, or discussing the quality of the latest seed offering. We're not bothered by squirrels. These bird feeders are not bothered by squirrels, are they? Um, We've got one or two grey squirrels that occasionally come in, but... Those, the cages round the sunflower seeds and the peanuts mm. really help. Yeah. 
I think maybe they've just... They don't really have an impact. No, they've realised there's not much point. Occasionally a big crow will come in and try to get the fat, mm. like a magpie or a jackdaw. Mm. Have you noticed any patterns in terms of when the feeders are most active during the day? No, I don't think so. I mean, certainly at the moment when the days are fairly short, they seem to be busy all day. And they're busier when it's colder. I've noticed that. Yeah, sunflower seeds go down much more quickly. That's true. They don't seem to be at all perturbed by the bamboo pole with the microphones on it. No. I I tried the other day um, with the microphones in a big fluffy windshield like you see oh. on the, on the news. The ones that keep the wind off. Yeah. Yeah, and they look like a couple of cats it looked like, sitting there. Yeah, <laughs> it looked like a cat on a tripod. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> the birds kind of came to the top of the tree, uh, looked down and flew off again. So that strategy, whilst it would have given a good recording because yeah. the microphones would have been protected well from gusts of wind, uh, none of the birds were brave enough. Put them right off, didn't no. it? And... Even you left them there for a few hours, and then they still weren't really feeding. No. So I think we're, we're quite lucky today. There's just no wind. So, what do you call those microphones you've got there now? They look like little, about the size of a marble, aren't they? Or a ten p. They're much smaller, actually. They've got a little furry bit of material stuck over them mm. to help dissipate the wind and protect protect them from. They've got some picking sort of up gusts. A micro wind cover. Yeah. Um, so they're little omnidirectional microphones, which means they're picking up sound from all around them, as opposed to other types of microphones which are more focused in mm. terms of where they're picking up the sound from. Mm.
so we've got a quarter of an hour to go so mm. any exotic birds who have not yet landed on the tree please come now <laughs> I mean that's the slightly frustrating thing with the bird watch is yeah. that you sit here for an hour and you know in the area there's something interesting like like the great spotted woodpecker yeah who we might see but we might see that or maybe a nut hatch or some yeah. green finch or even once upon a time a red pole <laughs> and uh, they don't turn up so you can't you can't put them in no then I suppose the bird watch relies on many people doing the survey mm. so if there are other people doing the survey in town today mm. then maybe that woodpecker will land on their feeder instead so one way or another the data will still accurately represent the populations yeah. of certain species and the important thing is the pattern of change over time, isn't it? So the, the frequency with which they'll visit birdie gardens will be similar. But if there are fewer of them or more of them in the population, the survey results will reflect that. Yes. Statistically, it'll all be fine. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it would be good if the survey included a box to say other birds, just list other bird species that visit your garden regularly. To give you that opportunity? Yeah, then you could note them down. Yeah. Yeah. It, start, it started this year, don't know whether it was doing it last year as well, because I didn't do it last year, but it started this year asking for, like, whether you've seen other things in your garden, well, like, like you've just said. Yeah. Not necessarily within this hour. Okay. But, like, mammals or amphibians or I think maybe... I think maybe stag beetles was on the list. Right, so that's good. See, that bullfinch is eating all the buds off my plum tree. <laughs> <laughs> but he's looking really handsome while he's doing yes. glorious. <laughs> that sort of slightly cherry red. Oh, pinky red. It's majestic looking, the bullfinch. Yeah. Sort of glossy black cap and beautiful red front. Oh, I don't mind, mind him eating As long them. as it doesn't eat them all. I know, but there are millions. There must be thousands on that. Thousands of little buds on that tree. You can spare a few. That hatches back. So, what are the scores on the doors, Cathy? Mm. So, well, we've seen 15 species. That's a lot. It is, isn't it? So, as well as the passing jackdaw, I included a wood pigeon in that tree. I heard a wood pigeon earlier. Yeah. So, the most common ones were blue tit, 
6, cold hit 6 and chaffinch 6. So those are the maximum numbers at, at any one time. And we also saw five goldfinches, three great tits, three long tail tits, two blackbirds, two bullfinches, and one each of Dunnock. Oh, we've counted Dunnock twice, so that must mean two Dunnocks. Hmm. No, it no. just mean one Dunnock. Yeah, one Dunnock, yeah. So, 14 species. One Dunnock, one Nuthatch, one Wren. Hmm. Quite a variety. Have we got one minute left? We just need the woodpecker to turn up. <laughs> There's a fight between a great tit and a robin. There's a bramling underneath on the ground oh, yeah. underneath. Yay! Sort of bricky orange front and some whitish markings on its back. Very, mm -hmm. When you look closely, they are significantly different from a chaffinch. More exotic. Mm. Unfortunately, it's occurred at one hour and two minutes. made it into the podcast if not the survey yeah that's <laughs> right no I mean that they're easily confused with the chaffinch aren't they but not when you see them again with the chaffinch though at the same time yeah well, I know because they're just so bright yeah and the more zigzaggy pattern on the back isn't there sort of dark and pale markings on the back closing thoughts Cathy have you enjoyed your hour Ooh. looking out the sitting room window? Yes, thank you. It's been very absorbing. There's a bit more birdsong going on now. Yeah. Robin. And then there's a great to it in the background. Mm. So, 
after we finished doing the big garden bird watch, um, Cathy went and found out a little bit more about sparrows. Because it got me thinking, the whole thing got me thinking like they're the most common bird, but there's been this massive 50% decline since the 1970s, and we don't have any in our garden. And um, so I looked on the various websites, and it, the main the main reason that people think they've declined is basically lack of um, food supply and um, changed farming practices. Um, and especially they like invertebrates to feed to their young. Insects. You know, insects and grubs and worms and beetles and stuff. And so I suppose it's, yeah, the lack of food supply and the use of pesticides and loss of habitat. And also sparrowhawks, because over that same time period, this bird of prey has you know, kind of recovered in numbers and spread out further over the country, so that increased predation may well have had an impact. If people wanted to try and improve the situation for mm. sparrows, what kind of things could they do? Well, I suppose anyone who's got a garden, they could do what you do, really, which is let some of it go wild and let the weeds grow, which, which means there's much more habitat for insects. And don't use pesticides and herbicides. And um, plant hedges and bushes, um, especially ones with dense foliage like hawthorn and ivy, which give plenty of cover for the small birds to hide in and nest in. Oh, and don't cut your shrubs in the spring and summer when they're trying to nest. Yeah. And nest boxes. Um, so providing nest boxes is really good, but you need to put different ones up for different species. Yeah, that, that sounds a bit complicated. I know, but the R, look, just the RSPB's got loads of guidance about that. Yeah. Okay. So, and if you want to do the big garden bird watch like we've done, again, it's a RSPB uh, initiative. So just go onto their website, and we've just submitted the data for the when, one we've just done. When 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 do we get the results? Well, the data crunching at the moment, um, and the results come out in April. Right. And I read that half a million people take part every yeah. year. That's amazing, isn't it? It's is amazing. It was originally only meant for kids. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but now adults are allowed to do it too. Yeah. Um, but there's also another, if you get really into it, you can do it every week. The British Trust for Ornithology, the BTO, have a garden bird watch survey. It's different from the RSPBs. It requires you to look at your garden for maybe a minimum of, a, of about uh, 20 minutes each week. But you need to subscribe to that. Okay. Costs £17. A year? Yeah. yeah. I think you get a magazine as well and full BTO benefits. Hmm. Um, and I suppose the other obvious thing to do is to get into feeding your birds in the garden using specific bird food. And keep your bird feeding stations clean. Yeah, and I can recommend black sunflower seeds. <laughs> They're your favourite. I found them to be the most successful in terms of enticing different birds into the garden. Yeah, but it might vary in different places. Sure. They're the best for the bird population here, but yeah. it might. Sure. You've just got to try them out, haven't you? Yeah. So um, I think that's about it. Yeah, thank you for listening. Yeah, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're going to finish with some more recording. I think it's mainly robins singing, isn't it? And the birds on the feeders. Yeah, so we just left the microphones on the tree. Okay, so we're going to sign out on that. Bye-bye.